Welcome to Flourish or Fold Stories of Resilience. I'm Dr. Taryn Marie. And on this series, we have the opportunity to hear from well-known people who tell their often surprising, lesser well-known stories of resilience. Hello to all of you. Today we have with us Terrell Hegler, also known as Your Fave Trash Man. I'm so excited for you to listen in to our conversation about how Terrell became a sanitation worker during the pandemic. Terrell tells us about the importance of never giving up on auditioning for the things that we most want in our lives. And I'm really looking forward for you to hear around how Terrell turned one man's trash into his own treasure. Uh, hello, hello. Welcome back to Flourish or Fold Stories of Resilience. I am here with your fave trash man, Terrell Hagler. Hi, how are you? Uh, welcome to the show. We've already had so much fun before we pressed record. No, no, no. This is even, this is it's only up from here. It's only up from here. It's only up from here. So Terrell, I'm going to just start us right off. I love everything that you're doing. I, your work is fascinating. You are changing the way that we think about sanitation workers and the true importance and essentialism of what it means to be in a clean environment. But before you became, and we'll talk about that, before you became your fave trash man, tell us about a challenge that you faced that has most significantly formed you into the person, into the man you are today. As I told you before, I have a theater background. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm a classically trained dancer. I've been acting. Uh, I'm not, I can't sing at all, so I never try. Um, but um, the 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 theater that I trained at in Philadelphia called Freedom Theater. There was a really popular play called Black Nativity. Mm. I think I auditioned for Black Nativity like maybe four or five times, mm -hmm. and I never made the show. Mm. never um you know whether I was too young like the right time just I never made the show and as soon as you asked me that question it it hit me as like the lesson I took from never making that show it wasn't the fact that I wasn't good enough it wasn't the fact that you know it was all the fact that I never gave up auditioning no matter what at the fourth time the fifth time I knew that I you know, was just trying my best and I never gave up auditioning. So as a, as a father, I, I never give up, you know, auditioning as a dad for my kids. I never give up auditioning as a productive citizen in, in society. I never give up. So like that, that always resonates with me. And I, I hold that really high in my life that no matter how many times, you know, I may not get what I want. Or I mean, I feel like I'm not reaching my full potential. As long as I show up to the audition, there's a possibility I could get the job. Mm. That's, uh, that's, that's how I, I like to structure my life. And are you, Terrell, just showing up, you know, that the famous saying, you miss every shot you don't take. Yeah. I, uh, I am definitely a shot taker. <laughs> Sometimes I pull the gun too early. <laughs> but um, what does it mean you pull the gun too uh, early? You know, so I, I have a saying uh, when I when I talk to people that there's two type of people in life. There are people who learn how to fly and then jump off the cliff. And then there are people who jump off the cliff and learn how to fly on the way down. I am the latter most of the time. <laughs> I am just seeing an opportunity, jump, may not have a clear cut plan, may not be have all my ducks in a row. But to me, starting is more important than figuring it out. Because people mm -hmm. will figure things out and never start. 
I love to start something and like I just if I say I'm gonna do it I'm gonna start it and then because of how my brain works I have to finish it so I may not have it all figured out but I got if I start it I'm gonna finish it it's it's literally to me that's that's a form of self-love telling yourself and saying I'm gonna do this for me and then actually doing it is a confirmation to yourself that you deserve it you know what I mean so I don't ever want to say oh I I want to I want to end up on this TV show but never work towards getting on that TV show and subconsciously you tell yourself you don't deserve it. I mm-hmm. I will DM somebody on Instagram and just be like, "Well, I said I wanted to be on the show and I did my pitch. I showed up. I auditioned. I didn't get it, but I showed up." And mm-hmm. it's 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 enough value um and showing up than there is than getting the job to me. That's my truth, but. I was thinking about while you were talking, something that I like to say or something that's resonated with me that's aligned with or adjacent to your truth, which is this idea that failure is an answer, right? Whether we consider it to be, you know, failure or not, or, or sort of how we characterize that. So, so failure is an answer. Success is an answer but not trying is a lifetime of not knowing. I so agree. And see, my brain went to not trying is an excuse. It's a crutch. Mm. Mm -hmm. More more times than not, people find reasons not to do something because they're scared, because of Mm -hmm. fear, because of outside noise. You got other people telling you it's not going to work. I mean, literally... My life has been like the last almost two years of my life have been an example of your, your, your surroundings, your circle, your situation can change overnight. Literally, like I, that is my truth. I mean, I've had some extreme highs. I've had some extreme lows, but all I got to do is show up and, and, and God will take care of the rest. I love what you said about keeping a promise to yourself is a form of self-love and not giving up on, on yourself. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, in sort of like the past, you know, kind of period of time that you've had some high highs, you've had some low lows. Do you want to talk about what some of those high highs and low lows have been for you and how you've navigated that from the place of showing up for the audition, whether you get it or not? I think, the lowest for me was losing my mother. I, mm. ye- yesterday, November 1st, uh, yesterday makes a year since my mother's, my mother passed. And so, yeah. I mean, she, she's for my whole life. She's always been my support system, my safety net and, I, and my cannon. She's always pushed me and propelled me and always made sure that I knew that I, I deserved to be wherever I was. So losing someone like that in the middle of growing your fave trash man and, you know, discovering what your fave trash man could be, it, it really hurt. But she gave me an assignment. She gave me a, a task and I have to complete the task. So, you know, there's a lot of moments when I receive awards or I do things like this or I go, I go places and I find myself taking pictures by myself. And it reminds me, mm. like, she would be here. She would be here mm-hmm. physically, you know? But mm-hmm. she's, there, she's here spiritually. But all of those moments for me, they hurt a little. They hurt a little, you know? Sure. And, you know, Mother's Day is different for me. Christmas is different for me. I have three kids who talk to other kids and like, oh, yeah, I'm going out with my grandma this weekend. It's just like... You know, my 10-year-old daughter's like, mm, must be nice. Like, I, I, don't have the, I don't have the privilege to do that anymore, you know? But then you talk about a high, January 4th, 2020, I was doing a double shift as a sanitation worker for the streets department. January 4th, 2021, I was on the south lawn of the White House for a private barbecue. So... Throughout that span of a year, my life shifted. So those are like two examples of like a high for me and being on the South Lawn 
of the White House a year exactly of doing a double shift, six, you know, 12 hour shift as a sanitation worker. But in a year, I was able to shift my life. And then like losing my mother, you know, and still being able to show up for myself and still audition, just knowing that she's not here physically, but she's here spiritually. Uh, another high would be um, just being able to start a grassroots movement solely on Instagram. I, when I first started the Instagram, I was like, oh, I'll get 500 followers. I'll tell a few jokes, post a few pictures of what it's like to be a sanitation worker. And here I'm at 28,000 followers and, and, and realizing that I have a voice, I have a platform, I, I speak for people. People want to speak through me and just social media influencer. And I, it leads to other things. I just wrote a children's book, you know, and I just got picked up by a literacy agent. So now they're going to be pitching my book to like, and this is all in almost two years, you know? And it's just like, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I understand it's because I went to that audition two years ago that now this is happening. I showed up for myself two years ago, you know? So I, I've laid that foundation. I've laid that groundwork, you know? So. Yeah, yeah. Tell us, Terrell, for the people who aren't familiar with you and your fave trash man movement, tell us about what the progression of that has been for you. I think your story is absolutely fascinating around you getting hired as an essential worker. Yeah, so I got hired December 30th, 2019. In March 2020, mm -hmm. COVID hit. So three months into the job, we weren't deemed essential until COVID hit, by the way. So three months into the job, 30% mm -hmm. more trash on the ground, 300 sanitation workers contracting COVID and testing positive and quarantining. We were like four days behind in Philadelphia. I mean, trash piled up to the wazoo. Kids can't ride their bike down the street. And it's in the middle of the summer with 110 degree weather. I remember those days in Philadelphia. Like Absolutely. Horrible. And all of the articles were saying sanitation workers were lazy. They were this. They were abusing time. It was this. And all of these things. And again, no one, we didn't have a voice. There was no one speaking up and saying, this is what actually is happening. And again, me being me and me being like, hold on, I'm not taking no responsibility for anybody else. I can be responsible for me. I was like, there has to be a way to shed a light and there has to be a way to shift perspective on what we're going through. And so that's where the Instagram came from. And I just started posting pictures of daily things we were going through, daily things that were happening, getting to a pile that had 90 bags, needles and glass and this and that and no bags tied and raw food and animals and possums and rats and raccoons. and from there, it just started growing and started growing and started growing. I think it really caught on when in the middle of the summer, we were so far behind and there was no communication from the streets department on what was going on. I was doing daily updates. I would go, hey, Philadelphia, in the real world, it's Friday. But in the trash world, it's Tuesday. And literally everybody who had their trash day on Tuesday would run and pit their stuff out and we were able to catch up because Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday would then hold their trash in. So it's not sitting out for four or five days. And then I started mm -hmm. selling t-shirts because I realized it was the truck, how we were spreading the virus so fast because there was no cleaning supplies. We had no proper PPE. So I started selling t-shirts and raised $32,000 in four weeks to buy PPE and cleaning supplies for the whole department and was able to spread it out. And from there, it just kept growing and growing. And I realized this January, a main reason why Philadelphia is so dirty is because of all the litter, all the illegal dumping. So I wanted to use my platform for good. So I started organizing neighborhood cleanups, especially in brown and black neighborhoods, because I realized those are the neighborhoods that you know, if you clean, like statistics show that if you clean in a neighborhood and you take a vacant lot and you clean it and you give, you make it a green space, 
it reduces crime by 29%. Absolutely true. It's it's the broken window that, principle yeah, or something like window, that, right? So, and, and uh, UPenn just did another study on it. So I'm just like, this makes sense. So I started, and then I was like, think outside the box. So I started reaching out to elected officials like, hey, your district is dirty. I have 20,000 followers on Instagram. I'm going to tag you in this post and I want to see if you show up for the cleanup. And they started showing up. They started showing up and just throughout the whole summer and this year, I've done like 33 cleanups. I've, picking up, I've picked up over 130 tons of trash and we do it in a fun way. We have a DJ out and we have volunteers and we have, you know, we had snacks and foods. And so it's become a thing where every Saturday I was doing a cleanup, you know, here in Philadelphia. And, and that's kind of where the, the platform is now. I'm doing a clean, I do cleanups as um, your fave trash man. I started a nonprofit to be a, a hub of resources for those communities and zip codes that need it. So I've done expungement clinics and food drives and coat drives and job fairs and financial literacy workshops. And um, I have an app out right now with my business partner, Morgan Berman. It's called Glitter, Zero Litter. Don't litter, make the city glitter. And the app is actually paying people uh, a living wage to clean the neighborhoods they're already in. Yeah. Wow. I wrote a children's book uh, called called I'm yes. Cool Too, just shedding a light. And this the real conversations me and my children had about why sanitation workers are essential to the community and, and why we have to stop littering now. So, yeah. Yes. I, I, wanted, I wanted to ask you about yeah. your children's book. I love the title. I'm Cool Too. Thank you. And you wrote this book to teach children about how essential sanitation yeah. workers are. And to encourage kids to not litter and to be part of cleaning their up their the community, yeah, their yeah. environment. Because, I mean, if you have a four-year-old telling you every single day to stop littering, you're going to do it. You're just, you just you don't want to hear it. You're going to stop. So the, and that, our kids are basically the boss of us. Literally, I have a ten-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a five-year-old. And don't tell them I said that. Literally, no. My my five-year-old already knows. She. Yeah, she I, she should be claiming me on her taxes. That's how it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, it. the children's book is so fun. It's so bright. And, and it has such a message about, you know, being responsible, but then also just acknowledging human beings. For a long time, mm -hmm. I didn't feel human as a sanitation worker. I felt like a job. I felt like people just looked at us and was like, as long as you get the can, that's all that matters. And I was like, you don't understand the 12 miles that I walk every day. You don't understand dealing with COVID. You don't understand that I, I haven't seen my kids in six weeks and it's, it's, it's March and April because we don't know what COVID is doing. And, you know, asthma runs heavy. Like you don't know, you don't know that I'm getting poked by needles or stepping on nails and you don't see that. You don't think about that side. So we can start them at a really early age, acknowledging the human side and acknowledging mm -hmm. the fact that without these sanitation workers, our city would really stop. As you grow older. And then the last thing is that my, my, my son said, like, why do you have to be a sanitation worker? Why couldn't you be a cop or a firefighter or this or that? And I'm fair like, question. Fair question. And I was like, but my job is just as cool. You just don't know. So now if my son wants to grow up and be a sanitation worker, I wanted to be cool, but I also wanted to be, you know, equitable. Like I wanted to make sense. I want him to have great pensions. I want to have a good pay. I want, I wanted to be systematically functionable. Like, so these are some of the things in Philadelphia we have to fix so that, you know, like I told you that my mom left me a task and the, the, the very last thing my mother said to me. Um, oh my gosh. I'm on the edge of my seat for this. Anytime someone says, when my mother departed, she left me a task. And the very last thing my mother's like, I'm like, okay, I, I, I'm going to press my face up next to the screen. Yes. So she said to me that it is, it is time for my generation to fix the problems of the world and not expect and leave the issues to the next generation. She said, 
every generation says the next generation has to fix it. The next generation. She said, it is time for this generation to fix it and leave the next generation to improve it. Mm. Let's fix the problem. Let's fix, right. let's fix world hunger. Let's fix, right. let's fix it all. And then charge the next generation to improve upon it. So mm -hmm. I'm going to do my part to fix this litter issue in Philadelphia, to fix this illegal dumping issue in Philadelphia, then hopefully the world. And then I'm gonna expect my kids to improve upon it. Mm -hmm. So that is mm -hmm. that is my task. That is that is my assignment. And I'm, I, I promised her that's what I would do and that's what I'm gonna do. She, she, she didn't give you something easy, did she? She did not, but that was never her. <laughs> there was nothing easy about her at all. It was to be expected. <laughs> You know, I'm curious, what would, what was your perception of sanitation workers as a child, if you remember, and what was your perception of sanitation workers before you took this job in December of 2019? And, and, and has that perception shifted for you as well? For sure. So as a child, it was they're lazy, they don't do nothing, they, they ride around in the truck all day, make buku money, make all this money, have great pensions and drive Mercedes and Cadillacs. Right before I took the job, I had the same thing. I was like, I'm about to be one of them. I'm about to be doing nothing all day, throwing a few bags, I'm about to drive a Cadillac, about to have a fat pension, making all this money. And, and literally, first day of orientation, found out our salary was $31,000. What? Oh my gosh. I thought it was so much higher than that. So did I. <laughs> so did I. And I was just like, oh. Mm. You were like, hello, the Cadillac dealership. <laughs> I will not yeah, be coming I will, in. Yeah, you can cancel that appointment. <laughs> Literally $31,000. And then it was so dysfunctional. Systematically just dysfunctional just not knowing what's happening, not being able to communicate. Like, but then it started, you know, I started seeing that it's, it's, it's not just a job, it's the city, it's the politics, it's the administration. I'm just like, this, this is where it comes from. You know, talking about shifting my perspective, I was just like, they work hard, like hard, walking 12 miles a day, lifting bags of up to a hundred pounds on each block dealing with you know the residents have i have had a gun pulled out on me on the route like just you know my route was in kensington and allegheny so dealing with the opioid epidemic like needles and i like there's an imaginary line like tape around kensington and Allegheny. like it's just an imaginary tape that just has formed but literally like the the amount of work the amount of patience you have to have the the, the mental um, I wouldn't say abuse, but the, the, the task, like the, is so taxing, the mental, the physical, the emotional, the, you know, I lost my mom while at work. Like, well, she didn't pass while at work, but you know, I, I was working for the sanitation department and I was only allowed three days. Oh my gosh. And then after that, I, I asked for an extension. I assumed it was approved. No one got back to me. And then I want to say she, her, her, she passed November 1st. Funeral was November 10th. I want to say right around Christmas, New Year, I got a letter saying they've been considering me AWOL for the last four weeks. Uh, they're gonna, they were paying me the whole time, though. There was, I was still getting paid because I thought I was on, Appreciate that. Because I was still, Appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, I thought I was on leave, but they're now, right before Christmas, they're going to stop paying me. They're going to do all this. And then the city of Philadelphia opened up an uh, ethics board investigation because they wanted to know where, they wanted to make sure I used the money that I raised for PPE and cleaning supplies. Um, and a bunch of other things. But what they said was that there was a possibility of a violation. I said, so what are the violations? And they was like, we don't know yet. You have to turn in all your information for us to find the violation. And my lawyer mm. was like, so you want them to turn in stuff so that you can find the violation, but you can't tell us. So he hasn't done anything. 
It was like, no, not right now. All of that, dealing with my mother passing, explaining to my five-year-old that she will never see her grandmother again physically, you know, like mm-hmm. all of that. And that was my employer. <laughs> no, no good deed unpunished, as they say. Yeah, so clearly my perspective and my respect for sanitation workers shifted tremendously yeah. throughout my 14 months as one. Yeah, how could they do that to your fave trash man? Well, it's an ego thing. It, 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 there's, there were people on the job for 30 years and they couldn't understand or couldn't fathom the fact that this guy who's only been on the job for six months just was on the Kelly Clarkson show talking about being a sanitation worker. It didn't mm. compute, it didn't make sense. It wasn't fair. Um, I was, they were calling me a scam and a finesse God and all this is, but this is all coming from higher ups, coming from the union. I, mm. I have union reps saying that, you know, don't talk to him. He's this, he's that, he's making it bad for us. He's gonna get you all fired. And I'm just like, how? Mm-hmm. How can I get mm-hmm. them fired by shedding the light on how important they are? But it wasn't their idea. They weren't in front of the cameras. You know, that whole ego thing. Do you think people felt threatened by you? Oh, for sure. Because newspapers started saying he's the next streets commissioner. He's this, he's that. Jafay Trashman for mayor, city council. Like, for sure, people were like, wait, you're getting too big for your britches. Even recently, Someone, you know, I heard through the grapevine that they said I was too radical. I wasn't, I wasn't, I, I can't be controlled, all these things. And I'm just like, but the funny thing is their, their last contract that they just signed, sanitation workers got a pay bump in their basic. That's, that's amazing. I'm, not, that's I'm amazing. not saying I had anything to do with it, but. It, but it's, it's, it's great. Yeah. It's, you know, maybe now they can. Go to the Cadillac dealership. May, nah, not even. I don't. Probably not yet. May, may, let's start with a Subaru. That, that let's, start, let's start with a Subaru. <laughs> yeah. That's, so I'm, I'm curious to know, there's, this, there's been this amazing journey that you've been on and an evolution really that you talked about in terms of finding your voice. Mm-hmm. And then when you found your voice, learning to use your voice. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to us about that journey of finding and using and amplifying your voice and what that's been like for you? Sure. So my whole life, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I never wanted to work for anybody. I, ne- I always, I've, I've had 19 jobs and I'm only 32. So that I've, I've always had an issue with what I say, fitting myself in someone else's box. I've always had an issue adjusting for someone else. And, you know, so when I, I, that's me searching for my voice. 19 jobs is trying to figure out what works for Terrell. What's this? What's that? Like, how do I shine the best and the, and the most with what I'm doing? Love what I'm doing. How do how do every day I wake up, how can every day I wake up and be Terrell and be happy and make money, <laughs> you know, and still be an impact to community and still. I mean, that's the question for all of us, by the way, sorry to interrupt, right? Like, how do we wake up, have some money in our account and be happy? That's the sort of question that everyone's asking themselves right now. And there's so many people that are so miserable because we feel like we're choosing between yeah being chained to our computers and zoom meetings and, and overwork and overwhelm and burnout and sustainability or financial solvency. So that is the sort of fundamental question of the day, which is like, how can I be financially sustainable and be happy? I love that you're asking yourself that. Yeah. And so when I started your fave trash, man, I just, the, the, the joy and the, peace was something I've never felt in my life. Just, hmm. just the, literally, I can tell you the moment I woke up and it was like, I get to do this because I want to and not because I have to. 
game changer. Mm. Total game changer. All my life searching for my, like you said, my voice, my purpose, my impact, my imprint on life, on society, on my children, on my family, on my surroundings, on my friends. And it was through trash. It was a simple act of picking up trash. And I, I say this all the time that you know, when I talk about self-love, it's about saying yes, even when you feel like you should say no. Mm -hmm. So when they reached out to me in 2019, I had applied for the job in 2017. Wow. I was on a list. I was number 782 on the list. Imagine if I would have said, no, thank you. I don't want the job hmm. anymore. But to me, it was a humbling experience to tell people I'm leaving programs director. I was a programs director at Salvation Army Croc Center. And I, you know, I had already just, I had already left and I was doing demolition. And I was like, maybe it's do demo, maybe it's real estate. Maybe I was always, you know, already on this journey. And in the middle of that journey, I was like, I'm going to go pick up trash for a living. One man's trash is truly another man's treasure. And that's the name of my nonprofit. The name of my nonprofit is Trash to Treasure. I literally found the treasure inside of me through trash. That's beautiful. Yeah. And then to answer the rest of your question, once I found that voice, I realized that other people needed to hear it. My story and how, you know, how my background and, you know, you know, three kids, divorced, all that stuff. How, like you say, how do you wake up and still push how do you wake up and still be resilient? How do you wake up and still flourish? And it's just like, I get to dictate my success. And, and that's one of my key things. I will never allow someone else to dictate my success and navigate my happiness. I will never give that power to anybody else. I love that. Yeah. I get to dictate my success and navigate my happiness and navigate my happiness. And that's a game changer. And literally, and now not only is it a game changer for me, what do you think my kids are thinking about now? So now my daughter starting a nonprofit at 10, you know, to feed the homeless. And now my son is like, okay, I want to play basketball, but is there other things I can do? Sure. You can get sponsorships. You can get contracts. You can do this. You could be a spokesperson. You could do. So now everybody has that mindset of dictating their success and navigating their happiness. Mm. And isn't that what your mother asked you to do? Literally. To to have that intergenerational transmission of working to fix the problems of today and then inviting your children, our children, the next generation to improve upon what we have fixed. Yeah, literally. Uh, I, I work in seasons. Um, my manager, uh, she is the type of person that will read the whole manual, learn how to fly, and then think about jumping off the cliff. So we're a great combo because I'll push her and then after I push her another time I've jumped already and she's learned how to fly to come get me <laughs> you know but I love it yeah but um we I always say I work in seasons and we have um words of, of or of a season or affirmation and we're just in our season right now we're in obedience discipline and consistency Every mm -hmm. single day for the last quarter of the year, I'm going to be obedient, I'm going to be disciplined, and I'm going to be consistent in any and everything I do. And she's done the same thing. So she's, you know, she works in higher ed at, at, uh, at a college, but now she started her own nonprofit and she's going through the, and we're just really just, just building off of each other and bouncing back and forth and then you know her friends are starting to be affected my friends are starting to be like and we're we're seeing like this mosh posh of just shifting going on and it's it feels so good and I'm in different circles now like 
I mean, I get to talk to council people and state reps and be invited to this and that. And then I could bring her with me and then she gets to be herself. And then, you know, everyone gets to take and then we all elevate. That's my thing. Take and elevate. You got to take, you got to take the moment. You got to take the space. You got to take the opportunity and then you got to elevate. I love that. Take and elevate. Take and elevate. Because nothing will be given to you. Even things that you think are given to you, you earn. And I've learned that. Like, you know, people are like, oh, such and such reached out to you. That's just, oh, my goodness, just so. And I say, I am blessed. But they reached out to me because of the work that I've done that they've seen. If I didn't do that work, they wouldn't have saw it. Perfect example is the book. Um, I you know the children's book was out there, the Kickstarter's out there, but I reached out to Billy Penn and was like, hey, can you, you know, can you do a spotlight? Can you do this? Can we work something out? And they wrote a spotlight about the book. The literacy agent saw the spotlight, saw the article, mm-hmm. and then she reached out. And that's how it all happened. What if mm-hmm. I said no to doing the article with Billy Penn? So I had to take the opportunity and take the, the, I had to take the resource that I had and elevate it to something else. Like I have relationships with a lot of media here in Philadelphia. So I had to choose and take the opportunity and say yes to myself. And then, then, so, so the work you see or the, the blessing that you see of, you know, me getting a literacy agent, you didn't see the two and three months of work of pitching it to other reporters and like to you know I say Instagram is a bunch of highlights mm-hmm. it's a highlight reel yeah, it's, but you know there's there, every picture that I have all 400 pictures I can tell you the work that's behind the picture or right. the video or the article or the statement or the you know what I'm saying and that's that's what that's to me that's why I just love you so much and your message about because literally, you know, you know, I'm a dancer and theater person. It's literally just showing up and mm-hmm. deciding that no matter what, I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. No matter how I feel, no matter what I'm going through, no matter the circumstances. Right. You know, I, my mom always said, control what you can control. Control the controllables, as Stephen Covey says. Yes, exactly. Control what you can control. And if mm-hmm. I can control what I can control in a manner that is mentally healthy, healthy for me, emotionally healthy, physically healthy, you'll start to see the mosh posh grow. You'll, you'll start to mm-hmm. see things line up. And so people look at me like, oh, you're oh, like, you know, I think it was Jay-Z or Meek Mill. Like, like the overnight success took 30 years. That's right. That's right. So I'm 32 and you see this, oh, you're fake trash, man. I'm the same person. Some people separate your fave trash man from Terrell. They're the same person. You know? mm-hmm. So if you like your fave trash man, you like Terrell. If you don't like your mm-hmm. fave trash man, you don't like Terrell. But there is no, oh, your fave trash man is amazing, but I don't know about Terrell. Like they're the same person. That's right. They're the same you don't have an alter ego. There's no Dr. Jackal yeah. and Mr. Hyde here. Literally, but I've been your fave trash man since birth. Now, have mm-hmm. I been always able to articulate him? No. Have I always been able to, you know, you know, show him or, you know, or um, as I say, like parade him around or have I always been able to, you know, give you an example of him? Yes. There's been flashes mm-hmm. of your favorite trash man in my past life. But now sure. at this age and at this moment and at this time, everything has led up to me to be full on. Terrell as your fave trash man. So it, it was it was always in the works, but I had to mm. keep showing up to, you know, there are no losses. There are only lessons. I had to keep, yeah. I had to keep learning those lessons, keep making mistakes and learning from mistakes. Sometimes the hardest person, actually, I think oftentimes the hardest person for us to show up for is ourselves. Yeah. You know, and and you talked about that being an act of self-love, keeping our promises to ourselves, showing up for ourselves. You know, we're, we are so often the ones that we put last on the list. We're so often the ones that we say, no, it's okay. You know, I don't have that. I'll do it later. I'm not worthy enough or enough, all the things that are bound up in that. And so one of the things that I love about your message is this sort of 
call to action around showing up for our auditions, not giving up on ourselves and, and being willing to put our life purpose and the exploration of becoming who we're becoming at the forefront and the center of our lives. And and don't don't get me wrong. I just learned this. Like that's okay. (laughs) Growing. I just want to be clear for the record. I have not always thought like this. It took some therapy. It took some conversations. It took certain people coming into my life, my manager being one, I give her a shout out, but I had, I just And a a whole lot of trash. You had to sort through a lot of trash. And a whole lot of trash. Yes. Like I just, I, I have, in the last two years have shifted into this theology of my life. But I've always felt it. Like, again, I just didn't have the words to articulate it, you know? But yeah, now that I have it, I'm never letting it go. I'm, I'm never going back to, you know, the, 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 old, the old ways. The new ways, are, are the, not even the new ways. This, this new discovery of me. And this, mm-hmm. this discovery of what I'm capable of. And this, this discovery of... I don't have to be anybody's expectation. I've read a, can I just read you a great quote that I read? Um, uh, I would love that. Um, heck, heck yes. <laughs> and it was, it, it has been resonating with me for so long and it's only been like a week and I feel like I've known it my whole life. Hmm. It says, you won't be free until you rid yourself of other people's expectations. Hmm. When I say that, like, I was like, oh, that sounds like a tattoo. <laughs> sure does. I, sure does. There's, I've seen um, um, different posts and things on social media that say something similar to that that I really like. And typically it's this particular one that I've seen is geared towards women. And it's, uh, it says something like um, things you shouldn't wear after 40 other people's expectations literally literally it does not look good on you yeah it doesn't look good but like just just and then knowing there's a billion of old Terrells out there in the world yeah and I was like guys don't catch it at 32 like I did catch it at 25 that's right and watch how much better you'll be you know, so that's imagine if we could save everyone from those from those those quote unquote fashion faux pas, right? Other people's expectations, not a good look. Literally, and I'm and I mean, I, I tell it to my kids all the time. Like, you are you. There's only one you. Be the best you can be. Be the best you you can be. That's all that matters. I don't. I don't. I mean, like, of course, you have expectations, but they're not unreal for your children. I, I expect you to go to school. I expect you to do well. I, but I don't ex- like my daughter plays soccer. I don't expect her to make the women's Olympic team by the time she's 16. That's unreal. Mm-hmm. But if she says that's a goal, I'm, I'm for sure going to help her push towards it, but on mm-hmm. her pace at her mm-hmm. pace. And that's the other thing about just, you know, expectations from other people It's at their pace. Right. I, don't, I, I do not want to walk to anybody else's music. Mm. I'd rather walk to my own. And I literally, the peace that I have, being able to have, having the privilege to resign in February of this year and still have money in the bank and still create opportunities and still grow my brand and still, you know, talk to academia and make, be a, be a voice, be a pillar, be a pusher, be a barrier breaker, you know, transparently, there aren't a lot of African-Americans in sustainability. Mm-hmm. There are some, there are a lot, but I'm mm-hmm. learning there are not, you know, we're the minority in that field. And I'm like, let's go. Let's, let's do it all. Let's do it all. What, why do you think that is? Why do you think fewer African-Americans or black or brown people are in sustainability? Well, I have a theory and I don't know if it's right, but systematically, culturally and economically, mm-hmm we don't have the opportunity to care about the environment as much because we're so under-resourced, we're so underserved, 
we're so we're, we're still catching up that when you ask a single mom of two kids who's working two jobs, are you going to do a cleanup on Saturday and clean your neighborhood? Or are you going to go to work so you can feed your family? They're going to go mm-hmm. to work. Mm-hmm. So to me, if we can close the gap on resources and close the gap on um, raising these zip codes and communities above the poverty line. Like at a certain point, people were like, just get them to the poverty line. I'm like, no, we need to be above the poverty line. And we can get to a point where we could take 14 zip codes that have the highest gun violence in Philadelphia, get them jobs, get them expunged, get them food, get them great, edu- you know, a school district, get them great education and, and, you know, and shift their whole environment. We would see an influx of, brown and black communities and zip codes in the sustainability field. Mm -hmm. We would see an influx. Mm -hmm. Like I just did a pitch for my app down in Florida and I was the only African-American there. Mm. Everybody else was a marine biologist and a this and this. And I learned about coral and seaweed and kelp and this and shipping and carbon. And I'm like, hey, this is a college dropout here. I did a year at Coppin State dropped out and I am in this circle pitching alongside these other people and Mm -hmm. by far I had the best pitch to myself and what I was Mm -hmm. and everyone was just like wow like even the person was like we need to create a category for you and I'm just like there's no PhD behind my name there's no MBA no MFA no ABC no nothing just Terrell. Yeah, just Terrell. This is fascinating. It's fascinating. And, and I love how you talked about, you didn't quite say it in this way. So tell me if I'm, I think it's important for us to highlight that although sustainability is of critical importance, it's also a luxury. It, no. And there's lots of people, it's, it's, it's a privilege, right? And there's a lot of people who are at the poverty line, below the poverty line, people that are just surviving, mm. right? And, and sustainability is about thriving. Sustainability is about thinking longer term about the world and our impact and role within it. But if a single mom, to borrow your example, is just thinking paycheck to paycheck, it doesn't mean she doesn't care. Yeah, she doesn't have the opportunity I say all the time, I don't ever want to survive. I want to thrive. I want to go from, mm-hmm. I want to take these zip codes and these communities from survival mode to thrival mode. And literally what you just said is exactly it. Sustainability is the, the thought of the long term. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how I'm going to survive in the next six months. How can I think about the next six years? You can't. You are. And, and we make a mistake sometimes of thinking, well, this person or this community doesn't care right. about sustainability. That's um, an assumption that I think people make when in reality, oftentimes it's not that people don't care. It's that they don't have the resources to be able to anything. get into that mindset of thriving because they're focused on surviving. You, you did not put any words in my mouth. You actually said it better than I did. <laughs> it's it's a it's a collaboration we're, we're working together so, on and this. then like even this is my other issue like then you look at elected officials in those areas and go like they elected you how is this neighborhood still poor five council people like through five council people this this one zip code is still poor so none mm-hmm. of these council people had a game plan or a strategic plan or anything to get this zip code from survival to thrive. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the council person got paid. Mm-hmm. Does that they, sure paid. Did. they did yeah. what one cleanup a summer, one summer and just show face. And, but because they have a certain letter in front of their name, D or R, we just go ahead and vote for them. So, you know, today's election day. So that's a whole nother thing about it's time for uh, time for us culturally to start vetting these candidates. And I'm, I need to hear your game plan. And if you don't knock on my door and I don't know you, you're not, I'm not going for you. 
Because mm-hmm. I don't even like saying the word politician because that's like a politicians, you feel like it's a separation. They're po- people and politicians. It's really like this. That's how they make it. We're like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're a person mm-hmm. in a position of power. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to be moving and away from my good, from my betterment, you know, mm-hmm. fighting my fight, talking my talk, bringing my issues to the forefront. Mm-hmm. And that's where it gets mm-hmm. forgotten a lot. That's powerful. I, I wanted to ask you, last question, and then we'll go into a little bit of a, a rapid fire to wrap up our time today. <laughs> we talked about the five practices of particularly resilient people, and that's research that I've done over the last decade and a half around what are the particular behaviors and practices that really support us in terms of navigating the inevitable challenge, change, and complexity that we face in our lives. Was there a particular practice that as you thought about your experience, your resilience, your journey through challenge, change, and complexity, was there a particular practice that stood out for you? Ah, so we were, I was supposed to pick one and I had three and now I still have three. <laughs> I'm going to go with the vulnerability. Tell us about that. I think for me and my truth, the more vulnerable I am, the the easier it is for me to just be raw, be out here, not worry about what people are thinking, not worry about how people are feeling. And I'm able to show up for me because I'm acting in my true self. I'm not pretending to be anybody. I'm not acting. I'm not, you know, you know, I'm not, you know, trying to run with the Joneses. I'm being me. And and that has to be me 24 7, 365. I have to be real with you. I have to be real with me. If I'm if I'm lying to myself, I'm gonna lie to you. Mm -hmm. the, The more vulnerable I am in these moments where it's so uncomfortable, when it's it it seems like I could just, you know not even deal with it. But the more vulnerable I am and the more open I am, I think it allows me to then articulate it to the next generation. As I'm able to articulate it to you. I'm able to, and I'm able to tell you my thought processes and my how I'm figuring out and my strategy because I'm being real with me and I'm being mm-hmm. open. I'm being honest. I'm being transparent. I'm being authentic. And it helps me get to the next step. Mm-hmm. Writing the children's book. I am not a great writer. I am not good with words. So I had to be vulnerable and be like, I need help. Mm, Yeah. I like to say when it comes to vulnerability that the three most difficult words to say in the English language, I believe, are I need help. You're right. And I, I still struggle with asking for help. Mm -hmm. I still struggle with asking for help. Mm -hmm. But I'm at a place now in my life where me not asking me not asking for help will could yield a really bad um, scenario later down the line. If I don't ask for help now, and I'll try to get to this goal, I may never get to it because I didn't ask for help. You know, there's another quote, they say you can either you can either you can either get paid from the decisions you made years ago, or you can pay for the decisions you made years ago. Mm. I'd rather get paid for the decision. I'd rather get paid six years from now from the decisions I'm making now versus pay for them. You know, so yeah, I live, Amen. I live my life in a bunch of quotes and affirmations. That's now I'm gonna put that on the record. Now I do. Now I do. I am. I have. I'm in my. I'm in my elevation. Elevation, and I'm still growing, and I'm still learning, and I'm still maturing. You know, at 32, and it's a. It's a constant learning process. It's a constant being a sponge. You know, there's been times when I've been in rooms and I've been the poorest person in the room, Mm. and and I was excited. Like, oh yeah, time to tap everybody's brains. That's right. That's right. Let me ask you this question. If I came to you and I said, Terrell, I need your help. 
how would how would that make you feel? Oh, I, I love to help people. Right. I, I the, and see. Here's another thing. You know, they always say, you know, the game is supposed to be sold and not told. Right. That's what they say. But I, yeah. I counter that and say the opposite because, for instance, my project team that helped me with my book, um, Empowerment. You know, her name is Paris. I've brought her four different clients already. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. like, how did mm-hmm. you do it? How, like your process was seamless. It was May and then it was September and you had a children's book. Like who does that? Like how? And so, but what if I was like, oh no, you got to pay me for that. That is stopping someone's elevation. Right. I believe in karma and I believe in energy. Why would I, why would I like, on purpose like why would I directly integrate myself and impede on someone's process and and just put be a be, be a wall to someone's elevation because because mm-hmm. I wouldn't want nobody to do that to me right so- well and this this in my mind is the fundamental sort of disconnect with help is I need help or I believe are the three most difficult words to say in the English language but anytime someone's come to me and said, I need help, I love it. I get so excited. I feel so honored. And so it's like, I've really been shifting that paradigm in my mind from when I say I need help, it's it's a burden to someone's going to feel excited, just like your response. Someone's going to love to help me. And I'm giving someone the experience of feeling that way when I have the courage to go to them and ask. But also you give them the opportunity to use skills on you. So someone asks mm. me for help. I then have the opportunity to work on my leadership skills, to work on this skill, to work on that skill, to see it through, to be a, an accountability buddy. And to, so now I get to do all of these things for someone else. And then when someone else gets to the point where I'm at, they may be able to take me even further. You know, it's, it's like, you know, it's funny. I say that like about dating sometimes, like, you know, you'd be looking for this certain type of person, this certain type of guy. And it's just like, you know, what if what you're looking for is not what you need? What if you need this type of person and you two are the key to each other's success? Because you have this pre mindset and this, this, you know, this, 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 this picture already lined out of what this person looks like you'll miss the key and every key that you try won't fit because Mm -hmm. you haven't gotten to the point where you just like, Hey, I actually might just need to do this thing right here. And Mm -hmm. these both unlock each other's success. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Oof. That's a powerful, you both have the key and you unlock one another's success that's a powerful moment for us to transition into rapid fire let's go go. you ready ready. we need some music (laughs) you said you couldn't sing i don't believe you i auditioned for spider-man on broadway i made it as a dancer and my vocal audition was so bad that one of the judges put her head down and laughed Yep. That's what I mean. <laughs> well, this is the first time that I've done rapid fire. Okay. I'll take it. So I'm so excited. Breaking barriers. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. So don't think too much about each one, kind of okay. whatever comes to mind. So I'm going to ask, I'm going to start a sentence and I'm going to ask you to complete. Okay. It. You ready? ready? Here we go. The person I most want to be proud of me is my kids i'm going to try harder to be more methodical and learn how to fly first before jumping (laughs) i like it life is too short to to not enjoy the present Mm. for my next chapter i'm letting go of things i can't control Boom. At this point in my life, my biggest turn on is 
my biggest turn on is mental health. Ooh, I like that. I'm mentally stable, emotionally stable, physically fit. Let me put that out there too. (laughs) Also, ladies, he said physically fit. (laughs) For the record. (laughs) Let the record show. (laughs) Due to personal reasons, I'm going to be quiet. Ooh. And last one, my best quality is Definitely my personality. Ah, I you're not wrong about that. Definitely. I am a I, I like to tell people I'm a vibe. I am a vibe. I'm a, also the red glasses. I mean, oh, I'm just saying. I'm a little stylish. You know, I'm short. I'm five five. I'm bald. So, you know, I got I got got two, gotta work with what I got. <laughs> Ladies, he's five five. <laughs> I do work out. I do love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Terrell, your fave trash man, what a pleasure it has been to spend this time with you. Please tell us how folks listening today can connect with you, learn more about you. I know you've got your glitter app, you've your your fave trash man on Instagram. Where else can we find you and connect with you? Yeah, so I do have a website, uh, yourfavetrashman.com. Um, it's going to be under uh, construction in a while. Um, but then I, my nonprofit, uh, trash2treasureinc.org. Um, that, that landing page is just uh, up. We do, I just started, I just got uh, certified in September. So got my IRS papers for the nonprofit in September. So we are ready to hit the ground running. And of course, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram is at your fave trash man, Y-A-F-A-B-F-A-V trash man. And then I just want to do a shameless plug and say. That's trash man with an S, by the way. Trash man with an S. (laughs) I want to do a shameless plug and go. I have 14 days left for the pre-sale of my book. And you can find my book on kickstarter.com. And just type in the words in the search bar, I'm cool, two with two O's. T-O- two with two O's. Yes, kickstarter.com, I'm cool too. And just, uh, if you can just pledge or donate a book, it's going to be really fun. It's just going to be, a, a. I'm so proud of the book and where I think it can go and how many children are going to learn how important sanitation workers are. I'm just so excited about this project. Um, and also uh, getglitterapp.com so you can learn more about the glitter app. Love. I love that you have connected glitter and litter. You're a, a man Perfect. after my own. And that wasn't even me. That was my business par- partner, Morgan. She was like, yeah, we got to call it something. I'm, yeah, I love glitter. Don't litter. Make the city glitter. So it's, I'm just happy to be a part of the project, be the megaphone for glitter. And we think it's going to actually help clean the city because if people don't Oh, real quick. Philadelphia was voted the dirtiest city in America by Forbes magazine in 2020. I did not know that. So my campaign is to get to zero litter by 2025. Let's go. Zero litter by 2025. can do it. Well, Terrell, your fave trash man, you're, you're number one in my mind, number one trash man in my heart. I Thank you so much for this time with you today. It's been such a pleasure and I've learned so much. Oh, well, I'm, I've learned so much and I, I can talk to you for hours. I feel like maybe you should send me an invoice because this may count as a therapy session, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, I've had uh, having opportunities like this to talk to people such as yourself just it makes it all worthwhile. And I appreciate the opportunity for, for you to have me and come talk to you. I really do. I don't take it lightly. I, I really appreciate oh, it. Oh, thank you. I've been so honored as well. Thanks so much for being here with us today. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did with Terrell Hagler, your fave trash man. One of the elements that really stood out for me in our conversation was this idea of keeping a promise to ourselves. The idea of showing up for ourselves as a form of self-love. 
As you reflect on this interview, I want to ask you to keep those promises to yourself, to show up for yourself as a form of self-love. And I'd also like to ask you, please download this episode, leave us a review, and share Flourish or Fold stories of resilience with your family members, friends, and colleagues. We'd be so grateful for your help getting the word out. Until next time, keep showing up for yourself, keep auditioning for the most important aspects of your life, and keep those promises to yourself. Keep showing yourself love. See you later. Take care. Bye for now.